Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, July 11th, 2017. On today's show, Jonathan Groff joins a podcast and a one-night-only musical. Critics weigh in on Hello, Donna. Michael Moore begins Broadway rehearsals, and we discuss Broadway's 4th of July week grosses. Thanks for listening to Broadway Radio. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. In today's news, the new unusual podcast musical 36 Questions starring Jonathan Groff and Jesse Shelton uh, premiered its first act yesterday. Yes, and in other Groff sauce news, yesterday the Hollywood Bowl announced that King George III II would be joining their star-studded production of Sondheim on Sondheim later this month. Uh, yesterday, the Broadway League released grosses for the 4th of July week, and they were even worse than we anticipated. Also on Monday, critics gave Donna Murphy rave reviews as Bette Midler's alternate in Hello, Dolly. And Michael Moore began rehearsals for his Broadway debut in The Terms of My Surrender with director Michael Mayer. All that and your commute in and around New York is about to get worse. And Chris Christie has apparently been taking in quite a lot of bit of theater lately. This is Today on Broadway, and here's the news. James, yesterday, the first of three acts of the new podcast musical 36 Questions was released by podcast company 2UP. They were the creators of the viral hit Limetown a few years ago. The musical stars Jonathan Groff and Jesse Sheldon as a married couple on the brink of divorce. While everyone listening to the show obviously knows who Jonathan Groff is, you might not be familiar with Je- Jesse Shelton's name, but if you've been in and around the New York off-Broadway scene for the last couple years, you've probably seen her because she was in, earlier this year, she was in Theater for a New Audience's acclaimed production of The Skin of Our Teeth. And last year, she was in New York Theater Workshop's production of Town, which may or may not be coming to Broadway, in which she played one of the three fates. James, last I talked to you, you hadn't had a chance to listen this to this yet. Have you listened yet? I listened to the first 15 minutes or so. Um... And okay. uh, I, I immediately got a feeling of the last five years, um, and which is a good thing because I love the last five years. Um, but I, yeah, it really hasn't settled in yet. And I'd like to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, it, it's about uh, with commercials and ads and then some stuff at the end. It's about 40, 45 minutes. Uh, and normally I would never want to judge a musical only on the first third of it. But since this is episodic in nature, I – I'm going to say this, and this is interesting. You mentioned the last five years because I thought it sounded like what you would get if you put Jason Robert Brown, Duncan Sheik, and the score to once in a blender, mixed it all up, and then removed every single memorable melody. That's what you would get in 36 Questions. That might be a little harsh, um, because, but I actually I enjoyed the concept of the story, but it saddled with this really – clunky concept that explains why the wife is recording. I, I guess maybe that will eventually pay off, but it seems unnecessarily contrived at this point. And even though Groff and Shelton are really good and sound great, and I, you know, I like their voices and stuff, uh, the music just never connected for me, James. That being said, I think I'm in for the final two acts just because I like the concept and the performers. But as a musical, this one just has not worked for me thus far. Yeah, I, I think they're breaking a lot of convention. I mean, the first song mm-hmm. is, what's it, 10 minutes in before you hit the first song. So yeah. there's not a lot of musical theater convention in it, and they're, maybe they're trying something new. And damn those people who try new things. I know. <laughs> Screw them. <laughs> so if you've listened to 36 Questions, let us know if you agree with Matt or not by tweeting at us at Broadway Radio or leaving us a message on Facebook. 
Uh, you could also email us. You know, find us on the uh, Broadway Radio page there with our email addresses. Okay, Matt, you mentioned that Groff is heading to Hollyweird. <laughs> yes, speaking of weird, yes. Uh, yesterday, the Hollywood Bowl announced that Groff will be joining the previously announced Lewis Cleal, Carmen Cusack, Claiborne Elder, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Ruthie Ann Miles, Matthew Morrison, Soleil Pfeiffer, and Vanessa Williams for the one performance-only production of Sondheim on Sondheim that will take place from the Venerable Outdoor Theater on Sunday, July 23rd of this year. The production will be directed by conceiver and original director James Lapine's niece, Sarna Lapine, who also directed the Broadway revival of Sunday in the Park with George earlier this year. James, I checked last night just before we started recording, and there are still some seats available pretty far back. If you're familiar with the Hollywood Bowl, you're not getting the close seats at this point. Um, but if you want to see this fantastic cast, you can go over to HollywoodBowl.com, or if that's too hard of a URL to remember, we'll have a link in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. Very hard, HollywoodBowl.com. All right. Uh, okay, now let's talk about the Broadway grosses. So things didn't quite rebound after last week's dip, right? No, unfortunately, it was quite the opposite. For the second straight week, the Broadway receipts fell more than 9% week over week. So it was close to 18.5% since the end of June. The 29 million $82,684 was the lowest total Broadway has seen since mid-March, and 21 of the 30 shows on Broadway saw week-to-week declines. The biggest drop came from Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, which is probably not a surprise following the departure of Josh Groban, but it fell nearly $519,000 to come in at 891 k Next on that unfortunate list was Hello Dolly, still reeling from Bette Midler's vacation, falling 214000 after dropping $1.37 million the week before. Overall, Dolly came in last week at $722,574. On the flip side, the new, more expensive blocks of tickets finally kicked in for Best Musical winner Dear Evan Hansen, who saw its grosses skyrocket up $383,000 to put it in fourth place overall at $1,720,000. $25,297. James, that one had kind of been middling down towards the bottom of those seven-figure club lists just because of how few tickets there are to be sold at the Music Box, and they really didn't have super high um, uh, ticket prices. That's changed, so it has gone up quite quickly. At the top of the list overall, uh, Hamilton saw a $7,000 increase to remain above $3 million for the week, and it was followed by The Lion King, Wicked, DEH, Aladdin, Kinky Boots, Come From Away, Phantom of the Opera, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Book of Mormon, despite a $169,000 fall, Anastasia and School of Rock, School of Rock, all above $1 million. James R. Bubble Watch shows continued the disappointing showings with Bandstand, Beautiful, War Paint, On Your Feet, which is closing next month, A Bronx Tale Waitress and Chicago all under 700K. Miss Saigon, Groundhog Day, and Cats were all under 800. And obviously, Miss Saigon and Cats have already announced January closings. James, generally, this week that we're currently in, the week after 4th of July, uh, sees things return to the touristy goodness in terms of the box offices that producers and theater owners rely on to sustain them through the slower parts of the year. I guess here's hoping that that remains true this season. Um, the summer was really weird last year, um, and let's hoping that it returns to some sense of normalcy this year so that some of these shows can can hang on a little, a little bit longer, because if not, I have a feeling we'll get a lot of closing notices come Labor Day. 
You know, I blame the forefathers of the country for having July 4th on July 4th because that really screwed us up last week. It's screwed – not just not just Broadway. Everything is screwed up this week. <laughs> can't well, get a train to Penn Station. You can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, and last week, I never knew – I was on vacation, but I was still doing this. I never knew what day it was. I was so confused. Seriously, the 4th of July shouldn't be on a Tuesday. Just make it a weekend all the time. All is that the how, time. Is that how – is that how the Gregorian calendar works? Yeah, like a president's birthday. It's it's yeah. it's fluid. It's <laughs> fluid. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm good with that. All right, what's up in the show and casting news? All right, uh, yesterday, James, we started to get a lot of the reviews for Donna Murphy's portrayal of Dolly Gallagher Levi in Hello Dolly on Broadway. She's obviously filling in for Bette Midler, who was on vacation, then also serving as her alternate on the Tuesday performances. And James, uh, this isn't a surprise to me. But the, uh, the reviews were fantastic. But what was really interesting to me is how much each of them noticed two things. One, how different she is in her performance from Bette Midler. And two, how damn funny Donna Murphy is. David Rooney of The Hollywood Reporter said, quote, Murphy also lets us know she's having a blast up there, but she does so while shaping a full-bodied character more distinct from herself in opposition to Bet, of course. The musical remains a star showcase, but one that here nudges the material closer to its origin as a Thornton Wilder play. From her first number, I Put My Hand In, in which Dolly explains her philosophy as a professional meddler, matchmaker, and Jill of all trades, Murphy crafts a character who's, co- who's a consummate scammer, a brash opportunist with a brassy, down-to-earth manner that can transform in an instant to cultivated mock sophistication. She's able to manipulate any situation to her advantage. But alongside those qualities, it's a generosity, an infectious... I don't know what this is. Where's Michael Bortantier when we need French things pronounced? That touches everyone she encounters. Even David Hyde Pierce's hilariously grouchy Horace Vandegelder, despite his futile attempts to resist. Joe Dominowitz from the New York Daily News said, quote, What actress would even dare to step up to replace Bette Midler? Murphy would. And does. She's center stage on Tuesdays and during Medler's time off, and Murphy is a star with dazzling comic chops and a voice to match, and she's giving the gutsiest star turn in town, and at times, the funniest. Last in our reviews here, Marilyn Stasio of Variety wrote, quote, Bette Midler won our love in Hello, Dolly, just by wiggling her pinky finger. Donna Murphy, who has slipped into Dolly Gallagher Levi's trim little boots while Bette is on vacation, has to work harder, earning our affection with a beautifully acted, powerfully sung, and earnestly felt performance. Best of all, she has the comic chops to laugh her way into this iconic role. James, despite the terrible grosses that they were seeing since Bette's been on vacation, or maybe even perhaps because of the the bad grosses, these reviews really make me happy. I, I mean, I think anybody who's seen her perform either on stage or on screen knows that Donna Murphy is one of the most versatile performers that we have working in the theater today. To think that she's won a Tony Award for Passion, won a Tony Award for The King, of, King and I, and then been nominated for Wonderful Town and Love Music, not to mention people in the picture, it shows a really incredible breadth of talent um, and a lot of skills and a lot of different things. So it's nice that even if it's just once a week or while Bet's on vacation, that people are getting the opportunity to see her in a really, really funny role. Which is also really funny because you think about a role like Fosca in Passion. Uh, <laughs> and, Not and other funny. Than, other than Laura Benanti making it funny. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. In Times Square sometimes too. Yeah. Um, but for her, I, I'm so excited. Like you just said, hey, this is great that these are great reviews. And even though the numbers are dramatically off from Bet's performance, uh, from when Bet's in the show, it's still really respectable numbers. You know, yeah, uh, especially with how bad everything else was last week. You know, uh, upper sevens isn't great, but it, it's not awful either. So, who, you know, it's tough to say what will happen after Bet event, uh, officially leaves, if the show will continue and who they'll cast. But there's definitely a group in the Broadway community, James, that I think will turn out for Donna's performances on Tuesday moving forward. Oh, abs- absolutely. And I hear lots of folks uh, booking those Tuesday tickets. And, uh, you know, when Bette leaves and Kathy Lee Gifford comes in, oh, oh stop let's it. do the next stop. next story. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm cursing you from a thousand miles away. Um, yes. <laughs> the next story in the show and casting you, James, is that yesterday Michael Moore began performance or began rehearsals for his debut Broadway performance in the terms of My Surrender. This one person show, which Michael Moore has written, will be directed by Tony Award winner Michael Mayer. Uh, Moore will be targeting President Trump using his signature political savvy and theatrical persona and this unique Broadway experience taking place, as they note in the press release, just down the street from Trump Tower. And next door to George Orwell's 1984 at the Hudson Theater. The show will play 12-week engagement at the Blasco Theater. It'll begin uh, begin previews just later this month on Friday, July 28th, with an official opening on August 10th. Um, I, I don't really have anything to add to this. I have very mixed feelings about Michael Moore. But, uh, again, James, kind of like my hesitation about Julius Caesar earlier this summer, this is clearly looking for a fight. I don't know that it'll get quite as big of a um, response from the the people they're poking fun at as uh, as Caesar did. But uh, Michael Moore is not afraid to say his piece. And I have a feeling that this one is going to be causing quite a few headlines in and around the Broadway community. So I don't know who wrote the article that you're looking at. It, it certainly it is uh, down the block from Trump Tower and uh, and next door to 1984. But you know what it's closest to? Uh, I do not. I don't know the Broadway layout as, as well as I probably should. It is like nearly touching the Fox Fox News uh, broadcast station. Uh, no. Yeah. No, it's not really. Yeah, because it's on Sixth Avenue, right around the corner. Uh, I, I mean, it's probably, it's, it, it's certainly, you know, five times closer to Fox news than it is to Trump tower. So I, I, I'm, I think that Fox is gonna, you know, try to make hay with this. They'll see. Cause they, they always make fun of Michael Moore and, oh, yeah. uh, and I, and it's too easy. Do you, do you think Fox and friends is going to invite him to sit on the couch for for a segment or two? <laughs> I'd imagine that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So um, Penn Station and how it relates to Broadway. Oh, not well, I take it. Uh, James, this means very little, if anything, to me. Um, but yesterday, a ton of repairs to various public transit lines began happening in and around New York. First, there will be two months of train disruptions because New York Transit 
Long Island Railroad, which obviously matters to you, and Amtrak began track repairs, and there are repairs happening at Penn Station, right in the heart of Manhattan. Um, James, I, I, I've seen so much lately about Governor Cuomo's uh, inability to maintain the MTA and how that may or may not relate to future national public office campaigns. I can't imagine that doing this in the middle of the summer is going to make New Yorkers even more excited to pay money to MTA. There is never a good time to do this. They're just to fair. <laughs> There's just not. I mean, it's it's like uh, you know, it's like any any infrastructure repair on on a city that operates twenty four seven. You know, you take them down at night, the people complain, we can't get home at night. You take them down during the day, the businesses say, you're killing our business. You know, it's, it, you know it, it, it's that motto that I use when, when you are um, redesigning a website. You know, the website is not complete until everybody's unhappy. So uh, I think the same thing happens here with, uh, with these type of things. It, it's unfortunate. Let's all try to get through it. We're New Yorkers. We can get through these things. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions to any listeners who perhaps don't live in New York but might be planning a trip in the next few months to New York? How will things like this impact their commute to see Broadway or off-Broadway shows depending on where they stay? Do you have any suggestions other than the obvious <laughs> plan now, ahead and get there the early? The thing is is that uh, if you are staying – this really affects a lot of commuters that are – live on Long Island and work in New York City. I mean, if you're uh, visiting New York and you're not staying in Manhattan, if you're staying uh, in Brooklyn, Queens, if you're staying in northern New Jersey or something like that, this is going to really impact you much less than the hysteria is out there. Yeah, I, okay. I made uh, reference to this. This is like, you know, uh, the stop and shop before... Uh, a storm. Just people are hysterical everywhere <laughs> about these trains. There's no, yeah, there's no milk or bread on the shelves anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that there's not a lot in the news right now, uh, locally. You know, certainly we have tons of national and international news, but locally sure. there's not a lot in the news, and and people are complaining about this because the commuter, uh, the commuters, um, this really does affect them. You know, they're they're taking. They're losing twenty five or thirty percent of the trains, or something like that. So uh, yeah, that's rough. Yeah. So Chris Christie, bringing some levity <laughs> to the situation here, is he? Well, I mean, he's apparently a theater fan, much like Bill and Hillary Clinton, who we've seen at mm -hmm. the Broadway theaters quite a bit. Um, yesterday, the Observer, Observer.com, um, did a roundup. I didn't know he was going to see as many shows as he has been, but apparently Chris Christie has seen and actually had walk-on roles in pretty much every Broadway show that's running right now. Um, of course, I'm kidding. What this is is that – Ridiculous picture of Chris Christie sitting on the New Jersey beach after he'd closed it to everybody else and just went to the private governor's beach with his family. Somebody has photoshopped him into pretty much every Broadway show. Uh, we'll have a link to these. I think, James, my favorites are I love Come From Away. 
I I I love Wicked, where he's in Nessa Rose's wheelchair. Um, I also uh, <laughs> really like the uh, the one from Chicago, where he's getting um, a stiff arm from one of the dancers, and then I love the one from Waitress. Um, but honestly, the funniest one, the best one of all, is the play that goes wrong. Um, I won't spoil it, but when you uh, head over to the show notes at broadradio.com. Check this article out. I mean, look, Chris Christie has an approval rating lower than <laughs> lower than Congress, <laughs> lower than Congress. Yeah, I mean, it's awful. So everyone can have a little fun. Then he tried this ridiculous thing on the Mike Francesa, Francesa show on WFAN Sports Talk in New York yesterday, and it was ridiculous. So, um, you know. I'm all for poking a little fun at Governor Christie. So are, are you aware of the Observer's past? I'm not super familiar with the Observer, no. So the Observer up until, you know, a couple of months ago was owned by Jared Kushner. Oh, that's right. The New York and Observer she, and Chris and Christie. Jared, and, and Jared Kushner's yeah. dad was prosecuted by Chris Christie. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, allegedly, although we've not seen any tax returns, so we can't really prove any of this, that Jared Kushner no longer has an ownership stake in the Observer. But again, we have no way to prove that. Right. But sure. they certainly went all out and after Christie today. But these pictures are really funny. So go look at them <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you're a Broadway fan. <laughs> I, I've got to tell you, James, I'm a, uh, as good as these are, there's one that's even better um and i just retweeted it before we started our show it came from of course the one and only at diva robbie he (laughs) his caption was i humbly submit this one hashtag by the sea it's the picture of chris christie in his beach chair on the beach next to helena bottom carter as mrs lovett from the sweeney todd movie it's really (laughs) really funny so check that one out over at diva robbie's uh Twitter page. It was good. I'm all for it. (laughs) All right. So why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. You can subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us, and we'll be back and talk with you tomorrow.